Welcome, welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. I'm Jim and I serve as a pastor and a host for us this morning. If you're a guest with us today, really excited you're here. Thanks for being here. We have a gift for you and it's a Starbucks uh, virtual gift card. Enjoy a grande or a pumpkin spice latte on us, but we really hope you enjoy your gift. Today, we're looking forward to continuing our sermon series. It's the second week of a series called Jesus is Greater. And it's all about Jesus, that Jesus is greater than anything and everything as we go line by line through the book of Colossians. Pastor Spencer will lead us through the scripture and God has a message for us all today. And now let's, uh, let's hear from Nina, our kids director of kids ministry. Let's, uh, let's hear what's going on and update there, all the good stuff in the kids ministry. Hi there, I'm Nina, the Director of Kids Ministry here at Schweitzer, and if you've been joining us online and you have kids, we have something for you. Each month we're going to have a family kit with activities that you can do to enforce our messages. So this month, it's the Back to School Bash. You can pick up a kit in the office or you can download things from our website, sumc.co slash kids, and there are activities all about friendship and following biblical examples in forming friendships. So we would love to see you doing those and enjoying those with your kids. And you can also on our website, sign up for our e-newsletter, which will have weekly messages for the whole family to enjoy. Have you been checking out Schweitzer and like to learn more about what's going on here? Well, we've got the experience for you. Join us a Tuesday evening from six to seven, virtually it's online. And you can find out what is happening here at Schweitzer and learn more about the staff, meet the pastors in person and this virtual event. We would love to journey with you. Again, uh, 6 to 7, Tuesday evening. Go to sumc.co slash all in to learn more and to sign up. We look forward to seeing you. If you're in the area, join us next Monday, September 28th for the Diaper Dash. What we're doing is we're stocking the local pantry with diapers. And so pick up some, uh, some new diapers, drive by the campus, drop those, drop those off, and also grab some frozen Andy's custard. You don't have to get out of your car to drop off the diapers and to get ice cream. Of course, if you want to stick around, we're going to have some games. We'll, uh, we'll play safely. We're going to have cornhole and wiffle ball, my personal favorite, and we'll just have some time uh, together. So join us for the Diaper Dash. It's going to be awesome. We look forward to you being part of the experience. As followers of Jesus, we're always looking for ways to be engaged with our world and our community. One of the ways we do that here at Schweitzer is that we participate with the CCDA, which is the Christian Community Development Association. We participate in their conferences, and this year the conference will be virtual. However, we're really excited, excited to be hosting the event here at Schweitzer. It's October 1st through 3rd. Join us if you're in the area. Become equipped with other leaders. Join other leaders to learn how to uh, be inspired, uh, to be trained, and to build up your community, to build up the community as God would have it, a faithful witness to our Lord. Join others for this uh, event. Go to sumc.co, ccda, to sign up or to learn more. We look forward to seeing you there. Today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Say hello to your friends and others. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, there's a prayer button. And now let's worship the Lord, the King of Kings, Lord of all. Let's worship together. From the darkness, I call your name into darkness. 
Let's pray together. This week, we continue to use the resource for this series, Jesus is Greater, a book that we've created about the New Testament book of Colossians. And so we're going to continue to uh, let the prayers in this book continue to shape our prayer life and form us and uh, shape us through this series. Today I'm reading from week two, and the prayer of the week is entitled, it's called Praise to the King of Creation. And I found it really moving that the author of this prayer, Doug McKelvey, in his book, Every Moment Holy, tells us that these words, this prayer, reminds us that our lives are filled with sacred purpose, even when we are too busy or too caught up in our own busyness to notice. So I invite us as I read this prayer to listen, listen well, um, hear what God is saying to you and I through this prayer today. Praise to the King of creation. O Christ, our thoughts of you, O Lord, have been too small, too few. You are the King of the constellations. You are the captain of the clouds. You are the Lord of the harvest, ruler of the grassy plains, God of the valleys, ruler of electrons, Lord of speeding light. Seldom have we considered how specific is the exercising of your authority, extending as it does into the myriad particulars of creation and beyond. There is no quarter over which you are not king. You were before all things, you created all things, and in you all things are held together. There is no corner of creation you will fail to redeem. You are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. O Jesus Christ, our King everlasting. Amen. Jesus is Lord of all, the King of Kings and the ruler of our lives. And oftentimes we, uh, we forget that or we have a hard time really believing that Jesus, the, the kind and good Lord, uh, the beautiful Lord that desires for us a, a good and beautiful life uh, through everything, through our, our challenges, through everything that is good. Today, uh, I invite us uh, to pray, to, to let go, to release uh, to God those things that we might be holding back from Jesus, that it might be too hard to believe that He is holding all things together and that we can trust Him and have faith in Him. So what is it that, that we need to let go of and to, uh, to give to God uh, and also uh, to praise the Lord, the Lord of all, uh, Jesus? Let's pray together. Holy God and kind, kind Father, I would thank you for the gift of your Son, or Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of all, 
And Jesus, we are grateful that you are kind and good and powerful and humble. And God, that you, uh, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you give us strength and courage uh, through everything. We confess that we can make you, uh, God, too small, that it's hard for us to, to really trust, sometimes to really believe in all that's occurring in this world. And so today we, uh, we let go and we give to you our lives and have your way with us as we cooperate with you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for your goodness. We love you. We praise you. We trust you. And now we pray together of the prayer the Lord taught us uh, long ago. We pray with boldness and, and confidence and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we thank God for all that God gives to us. And we respond by worshiping through our giving. It's an act of trust and obedience. We thank you for your gifts, your tithes and offerings that make such a difference here, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Recently, we told you about learning paths. As kids have had to learn how to do school in a whole new way, kids and families, teachers, and, and the whole community. And so we created learning paths here at Schweitzer. We had some needs. And so we came to you and asked, and wow, have you responded? Your generosity, you've stepped up. We are so grateful for all that you've given, the, the supplies, the gifts. And so the, the learning paths, I walked through there today, and the kids are thriving, they're flourishing. They're learning, they're playing, they're being creative. It's safe. The teachers are excited. It is a real blessing. So again, we thank you. Thank you for your generosity. It really matters. Thanks so much. And now let's uh, continue worshiping through this song. Raise your hands 
just raise your hands and say, Lord, you're all I need. You're everything to me, and you'll take the pain away. When it seems you're all alone, praise his name. When you feel you can't go on, just raise We believe in the power of stories. Each week this year, all 52 weeks, we're telling stories of people whose lives are being transformed by God, the living God who is working and inspiring and moving in all of our lives. And then these people are telling their unique stories, and we are grateful. This week, we're hearing from Neil McCall, who is a friend, a faithful follower of Jesus, a person with a real gift of hospitality, and has led and served others around here for years, impacted so many lives. I hope he inspires you like he does me. Let's hear from Neil. Let's watch. We started coming to Schweitzer when our children were in grade school and we wanted to bring them up in the church. Later, I I uh, joined the choir for a while and I realized there were a lot of other people who had way better voices than I did and I don't know how to read music so everything I did had to be uh, from memory. Uh, so I, I stepped aside on that. During the uh, mid to late part of the first decade of this century, um, we had a whole lot of things uh, that were uh, struggles that were uh, challenges for us in our lives. Both of our children were in separate automobile accidents, their fault, that uh, nearly killed them. One of our sons broke his back and the other one was uh, in the hospital for weeks in a coma and subsequently in a rehab uh, for over a month. During that time, uh, I was active, I was an active alcoholic. Uh, they call us functional alcoholics because I went to work every day and I went to church every Sunday and I even showed up at choir practice drunk. My business came crashing down in the uh, uh, financial crash in uh, seven, eight, and nine. Um, Subsequent to that, in the teens, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. Ultimately, I was at the end of my rope. And interestingly, that's usually where you find God, is when you no longer 
feel like you've got the wherewithal to keep all the balls in the air. All that, all that time, I was learning to turn all that stuff over to God because I had no control over my son's coma or my treatment uh, for cancer. And uh, I just had to turn it over to God and he, he calmed me and, and let me know that it was gonna be okay. So I, I tried to reach out, God grabbed my hand and really he's been holding it ever since. Uh, uh, it, it was a decision that I had to make that I would look to God for decisions that needed to be made and try and hear his leading, uh, his guidance for my life. My name is Neil McCall, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. Today is part two of a series we're on called Jesus is Greater. I'm so excited for this series. Uh, we're spending eight weeks walking through this New Testament book of Colossians. And, and we're looking at, during these eight weeks, eight different ways that Jesus is greater. Because that's really the whole theme of Colossians. The whole, the whole four chapters here is about um, reminders after reminders after reminders about how Jesus is greater than, than absolutely everything and anything. So I hope you're tracking along with us as well with our field guide. We've made our little study guide uh, book. It's got daily Bible reading, small group discussion questions. I hope you're, you're tracking along with that. Um, if you're just now getting going with, with that, it's, it's never too late to join us as we study the Bible together. So I'm, I'm really excited about this. Today, we're going to look, pick up right where we left off last week, and we're going to look at probably the most famous uh, passage that comes from Colossians. And um, this passage we're going to read is, is, is poetry as well. So I want you to be prepared that we're going to read some poetry today. And um, people believe that what we're about to read, while Paul wrote Colossians, he, he probably didn't write these verses we're going to read. Probably he's borrowing this, he's quoting this. And a lot of people think that what he's borrowing, uh, this poem that we're going to read, is is an ancient first century, uh, first generation uh, worship song, a hymn that the early, early Christians would have would have sung together, which I find to be so incredibly compelling that these verses we're going to read would have been something that the very first generation of Christians would have would have gathered together to sing in their worship services. And I just I just think that's incredible. So we're going to start reading here. Um, Colossians 1, verse 15. Here's how it goes. Starts off and says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. I just, I love that first line. The sun is the image of the invisible God. So right off the bat with this poem we're reading, we have this major claim that uh, that Jesus is the image of God, that he is the, re the revealed image of God, that when we look at him, we see who God is. This is what Christians believe, that Jesus is not just another teacher. He's not just a, a myth or a legend that people talk about. He's not just a good story. He himself is actually God. So the sun says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Keep reading. The firstborn over all creation. So remember reading, reading poetry here. Firstborn doesn't mean that he was born first. Rather, this is a, a term from the Old Testament that, that is a, about a special place of prominence, a, a place of leadership, a place of importance. And really what we're reading here with him being the firstborn over all creation, it's like, it's like the, the poem is saying that, that he is the most important, that he is the most prominent, that, that, he, that he takes first place over absolutely everything, over all of creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, pay attention to those words there, heaven and earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, those last things there, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities are probably some of the invisible things that, that Jesus has created. Um, part of the, the idea here is that it's probably like the spiritual realm is what's being described here. Some people think that Colossians was written because there are folks in that church who are starting to worship angels and they're elevating angels and, and the, Paul's trying to remind them, hey, no, 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 Jesus, he's, he's greater than, than everything, even angels. So, so uh, that's what we hear, see here. We keep reading. It says, all things have been created through him and for him. Catch that last line there. All things have been created through him and for him and for him. All things were created for him. You were created for him. You were created to be in relationship for him. You were created to exist for him. Like he is the, the creator. You are the creation. You exist for him. This is your purpose in life is to be with him and in him and for him. This is, this is why you exist. This is why when we fill our lives with other things than him, we're never satisfied. This is why you could achieve and amass and, and accumulate all that you could, but without him, you've lost because all you've done is you filled your life with creation and instead of the creator, you were created for a relationship with the creator. You were made for him. Keep going here. Verse 17 says, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Catch how many times reading that word all because he's greater than everything. Um, Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. There's that word again, the firstborn from among the dead. So earlier he was the firstborn among creation and now he's the firstborn um, from among the dead. We're, we're talking here about, about Easter, resurrection, the empty tomb, that he's the firstborn, uh, this new creation. Keeps going so that in everything he might have the supremacy, he might have first place. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven. And there's that, that phrase again. We earlier read about um, things on heaven and on earth. That was, that was in verse 16 here in verse 20. It's, it's things on earth and in heaven. Like it's the same words, but they've been switched, which is really interesting that they've been switched. And, and maybe they've been switched here because um, when you think about creation, creation happened first in the heavens and then it comes to the earth. But redemption, well, it happens on earth and it spreads through all creation. It happened on a, on a hill and in a tomb and it, and it stretched through all the universe and all of creation that, that this is, why it is so maybe it's it's switched here for that reason or maybe it's just switched here because it's just switched here i don't know but you see that jesus is is redeeming and he is making things new and, and the way he's doing this is the last line of his poem is how he's doing it quote by making peace through his blood shed on the cross and this is this is the end of the poem. This is uh, the end of that, that song. That was a closing line of the song. And then Paul picks up here. We're going to read a few more verses. And Paul picks up and gives some commentary of, of this poem. This is probably his writing now at this point. He's going to explain um, what this poem means, what it looks like. So verse 21, he keeps going. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Your evil behavior was that you lived for yourself and not for him because you were created for him. Verse 22, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and in which I, Paul, have become a servant. So Paul's like, what, what has been true for all of heaven and earth, what Jesus has done for all of heaven and earth, he's also done for you. 
that he has made you, uh, redeemed you, and, and he, has, he has saved you in the same way that he is saving everything, making everything new. And so you have this, this poem here, and I just, I just want to level with you for just a second. Um, as we read through this poem, I just, I just got to level with you. I, I don't like poetry. I, I know some of you do. Some of you love poetry, and, and um, I have no judgment towards you who love poetry, but I, I, just, I just don't love poetry. I read poetry and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, like, why, why can't you just say this more plainly? Just say it straightforward so I can understand what it is. Because when you read poetry, it's like, it's like work when you read poetry. It's all kind of layers and meanings and, and things. So you got to dig at it and you got to like, you know, like wade through all this because there's, there's just so much in poetry. And I just, I, just, I just don't really get it. I don't really appreciate poetry, I should say. It's kind of lost on me. And so, and so as you read through this, this poem today, I mean, this is definitely reading um, a poem that you're like swimming in the deep end through. You're, you're wading through all kinds of layers and there's all kinds of meanings and there's like, there's is depth here that, that's, that's just, it's hard to understand. It's not, it's not straightforward. You're just like, come on, just say it with this more straightforward so I can understand it. And there's all kinds of depth here. So I thought what we could do today is um, we, could, we could boil this, this poem that's incredibly deep down to some, some of the big ideas here. And I, I, wanna, I wanna do this for, for anyone else who maybe doesn't love poetry poetry, kind of like me, because those of you who do love poetry, you can just go and read the poem. You're going to love it. But for those of us who, who maybe struggle with poetry a little bit, I wanted to, to boil this down to some, some of the big ideas of uh, what we see in this poem, because really this poem is, is, a, is about one big uh, truth that we have to wrestle with. Not really a truth, really. It's really a call to action. It's a decision that we have to make about what is it that we believe to be true um, about Jesus. And so if you boil this poem down to, to maybe like one big idea, what you see in this poem is that over and over and over again, this poem is asking, or it's rather it's answering a simple question of this. Why does Jesus matter? Like that could really be the 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 title, the, the heading on this poem is, Why Does Jesus Matter? My Bible, the, the heading is The Supremacy of the Son of God, which even then I'm not quite sure what that means. But the poem, but just the heading, Why Does Jesus Matter? That's really the, 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 the big answer to this question in, in this poem. Why does Jesus matter? If you read through the poem, you boil this down to some big ideas, you really see that Jesus matters for, for two reasons. And the first reason is this. Um, Jesus matters because Jesus made everything. That's what we read here. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is the, the one who, who's made everything. Everything's been made through him and for him. He, he was here first. This is why he matters. Jesus matters because, because he is the creator. Uh, he matters because he is, he is the one who's, who has made all of this to begin with. And so if you believe that Jesus has anything to do with creation, then what he says matters. How he presents the world. It matters. What he says about life, it matters. He's not irrelevant. It's not like ancient history. It, it matters if he has anything at all to do with creation. It, 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 it matters. And it matters because he is the creator and we are the creation. And as creation, it matters what the creator of all would say about life and about how to live life and about what a full life is, is, is about. What he has to say matters. Now, I, I know that sounds really simple and obvious and kind of like a Sunday schoolish kind of, kind of point, but, but it needs to be made because that, I, that idea, that thinking, that what he says, what he thinks matters um, is, is actually a bit countercultural because we live in this, this moment in time where um, our own thoughts and our own opinions about the world um, tend to beat everything else. And so we live in this moment of time where, where our own individual opinions 
uh, tend to be the most interesting thing that's ever been. And, and if you wonder what I'm, what I'm talking about, go spend 10 minutes on Facebook and see how everyone has to have an opinion on everything as if it's this like brand new idea that's so insightful and so important that it needs to be shared with absolutely everyone. And it's like, it's almost as if we have this, this idea that, that our own individual opinions are the most important things that, that's ever existed, that our own experiences then are, are how we understand what is true in the world. But what we see here with this claim is that the most interesting opinion, the most interesting thoughts about the world are not ours. It's the creator's. The, the way to live our life, it's not found through our own experiences. It's, it's found through what does he have to say? It, it's found through, through the truth that, that is in Jesus. And, and this is a, a countercultural idea because, because what it says to us is that, is that we need to have the humility to learn from the creator. That I, that I can't just come up with my own thoughts. It's not just about what I want to do. It's not just about my own experiences, about what does he have to say about how I should live my life. And, and we might be tempted to take uh, the Bible, the Word of God, and to dismiss it as you know, ancient history full of myths and legends. But if this is the, the revelation that we have from the Creator, then what it says really matters. See, the first reason why Jesus matters is because He made it all. He was here first. He's the firstborn. And what He has to say about life, it, it matters to those of us, all of us, who are His creation. The creation needs to listen to the Creator. So that's the first reason why Jesus matters is because he made everything. And the second reason, as you boil this poem down to why Jesus matters is this. Um, Jesus makes everything new. So Jesus made everything and Jesus makes everything new. If you think about the story of Scripture, the story of Scripture is essentially that that God created this world that is good and uh, he gave it to us as humans who are made in his image to to tend to it, to be stewards of it. This, this world that was made through him and for him was given to us to manage. And uh, pretty much immediately we blew it. I mean, we right off the bat, we blew it. And we blew it in a really significant way because we took this creation, this world that was made through him and for him, and we very quickly made it for us. We, we made it about us. We, we began to put ourselves first and, and we began to, to live for ourselves primarily. And, and when I say us, I don't, I don't mean like us collectively. That would have been way too easy, way too helpful. No, when we started to make this about us, we made it about us individually because human nature is to, is to put ourselves first. And, and so what you see that, that God's response to this is why Jesus matters because God's response to our failure to do what he called us to do as his stewards, as managers of this creation was instead of doing what I would have done, which is, you know, fire and brimstone for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for basically all of eternity to, to like make a point here because I have anger issues. No, what, what he does is, is he sends his own son who, who takes the worst of us, the worst impulses that we have, and, and he submits to that, and then he rises again, and he does all of this in order to make everything new. To, to create this new redemption, this, this new earth, this new heaven, this new way of life, this, this, this life that is new. He's, he's made everything new. You see, Jesus matters because he made everything and because he's making it new, because he's, he's renewing everything. And so we have this, this, um, this claim here about the, the importance of Jesus. And, and what you see in this poem is it's, is it's driving us then to, to claim about what are you going to do 
with the importance of Jesus in your own life. This is really what the poem is driving us to. It's what are you going to do about this claim? Because if he matters, well, you have to account for that in your own life. Because what you can't do is you can't say that he matters and then go on with your life business as usual. You have to make a decision, some sort of decision about what what are you going to do with why Jesus matters. Because lots of people believe that Jesus is important. Lots of people believe that Jesus is compelling. Lots of people believe that Jesus is, you know, a great moral teacher, but not necessarily that these claims about him are true. But if you start to deal with these claims that we see in this poem, it it drives us to a decision of, well, what are you going to do about that? The great C.S. Lewis has this way of framing this decision. I found it to be so helpful. It's in his book, Mere Christianity. And he writes about the the claims that Jesus makes about how he is God. I am the way, the truth, the life, for instance, when Jesus says that in John 14. And and C.S. Lewis writes about these claims that Jesus is making about himself, about how he is not just a moral teacher, about how he's actually God himself. And And C.S. Lewis says that when you consider these claims that Jesus makes about himself, the decision point that you and I have about who he is really comes down to to three logical choices that are before us. And so I just want to read to you what what Lewis writes in in Mere Christianity. I think it's so helpful in in understanding the, the, the way to think about this decision that you and I have. And here's what he writes. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying that the really foolish thing that people often say about him that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. C.S. Lewis is like this. When you consider the claims that Jesus makes about himself, you consider the claims that you have in the Bible about who he is and why he matters, you're really left with three choices. Either he is a lunatic because he said things about himself that are absolutely crazy, or he's a liar because he said things about himself that aren't true, or he is the Lord of all. He comes first place, that he is supreme over everything, that he is the creator of all, and that we have to give our lives to him. And then when you make this claim that Jesus is Lord, what you start to find here is that that this this choice of him being Lord is, is really the most basic claim that we have in the scripture about who Jesus is and, and what he does in our life. This, this claim that Jesus is Lord it is, it is found hundreds of times throughout the New Testament as it teaches about the importance of Jesus and why it is that he matters. Let me give you some examples here of the, of the hundreds of times that you see this claim that he is Lord, um, because that's really the, the decision point that we have to make if we consider who he is and what he's about. Here's some examples of how the New Testament talks about this. Um, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Listen to this, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, here's another one, Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You hear that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verse 10, at, that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the, the central claim of the New Testament that when you consider who Jesus is, the claims he's made about himself, and what we read about him in the Bible, that he has to be Lord. And, and this is the claim of, of Colossians 1. If you want to boil this down to the big idea, it's very simply this, that when you consider who Jesus is, what he has done and why he matters, the only conclusion you can come to is that he is Lord. And to say that Jesus is Lord, to say that Jesus is, is first place, to say that he's, he's supreme, that he is the head overall, to say that he is Lord, it isn't to, to say some sort of creed or to say something that you believe to be true about Jesus. Really, to say that Jesus is Lord is a call of action. To say that Jesus is Lord is a, is a way of life. Because you can't say that Jesus is Lord and, and say that you believe certain things about him like how he created everything or how he's making everything new, how he's redeeming us. You can't, you can't make those claims about him and then go on with your life uh, business as usual. Like, like you can't claim Jesus as Lord and then pretend that Jesus doesn't actually care about how you live your life. You can't say that Jesus is Lord and then, and then pretend that he doesn't care about things like, I don't know, the, the state of your marriage or that Jesus is Lord and then pretend that he doesn't care about the words that you use, or that, or that how you deal with fear and anxiety. You can't say that he is Lord and then, and then pretend that he has nothing to say about how you use your resources, or you can't say Jesus is Lord and then pretend that he has, doesn't care about what websites you visit, what you put before your eyes. You can't say that Jesus is Lord and, and then pretend that, that uh, you can just go on your way and not care about those who are oppressed or suffer from injustice. You can't, you can't say Jesus is Lord and not, and not start to live as he has taught us to live. You can't say Jesus is Lord and then keep living your life business as usual. No, 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 no. If you are going to consider who he is and the claims that are made about him, both himself and from others, and you conclude that he is Lord, then that means that he is Lord of all, of everything that he is Lord of all of my life, not some of my life, not part of my life, not the parts that I wanna give him, he is Lord of all of my life. It means that he is Lord of all of my thoughts. He is Lord of all of my decisions, that he is Lord of all of my insecurities, that he is Lord of all of my relationships, that he is Lord of all of my resources, that he is Lord of all of the decisions I make, that he is Lord of my body, that he is Lord of how I spend my time, that he is Lord of, of my money, that he is Lord of my future, that he is Lord of all. You see, I, I can't say that Jesus is Lord and then only give him some of myself. When I say Jesus is Lord, that claim that I'm making is that he is Lord of everything. And I can't then just go with my life and say and live as if, as if business as usual. Because if I consider this claim of who he is, that he is the image of the invisible God, that he's the firstborn of all creation, that things are made through him and by him and for him, that, that he is the one who's making peace by his blood that's been shed on the cross. If I consider these things that are true for him, I have to come to the conclusion that he is Lord. And if he is Lord, that means he is Lord of all. You see, Jesus is greater, not because he's some good idea, not because he's just some moral teacher, not because he's got good things to say that we should listen to sometimes. No, 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 no. Jesus is greater because he is the Lord, because he is the head, he is first place, because he is the one who made everything and he is the one who's making everything new. And if Jesus is Lord of our life, he can't be Lord halfway. He has to be Lord of everything, of all of us.
He has to be Lord of every part of us as we give ourselves to him, not this thing that we say that we believe, but a call to action and how we actually live that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we consider these claims that are made in this poem, these claims that you made everything, these claims that, that, uh, that you are making everything new, these claims that you are alive after being crucified, these claims that you have conquered death, these claims about how you are Lord of all. And then we consider our own lives and we are reminded and challenged again, Lord, to, to consider how you are Lord of all of us. Not some of us, not part of us, not, not parts of our life, but all of our life. We don't want to live our lives where we're just halfway following you, but instead where every part of our life, our thoughts, our emotions, our decisions, our future, everything is being entrusted to you. Everything is being turned over to you. Everything is being submitted and surrendered to you. And if there are parts of our lives where we are living, where we know we're not living how you would want us to live, God, today, would you challenge us in those areas? Would you call us to, to surrender these to you and to begin to live in obedience to you because you are the Lord? For any of my friends who might be watching this morning and joining us this morning who, who haven't made this confession before, I pray that today is a day that they can turn their lives over to you as they consider this claim of how you matter and why you're important and how we should listen to you because you are Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.
Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes It's been great to share this morning with you as we've been considering this claim how Jesus is Lord of, of all of our life. If this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this with your friends, your families. We share the good news of what Jesus can do in our lives uh, through the ministry of the church. Have a great week.